No true substitute for the heart of generosity in Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus is the most generous, and he is the one who is walking us through this series called Imitation Generosity. Now, why would we name a series Imitation Generosity? Well, anytime you want to learn about a concept, you also want to look at its opposite, and it sheds some light on what the concept means if you look at what it doesn't mean. So we've been talking about God's vision for generosity in each of our lives, and kind of here, here's where that idea comes from. If you'll take a look at this beautiful scene across, uh, not only from a mountainside, but down into a green valley, and then if you go outside the school today and look in the parking lot and see that it's frozen and covered with ice and there's snow everywhere, it gives you a little bit of hope because you know that spring is coming, right? Well, I want to share this scripture with you that's laden across this beautiful scene. In Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 20, the scripture says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Without excuse for what? Well, without excuse for knowing that God is not only a creator, but God is a giver. So God creates beautiful, amazing things, and then what does he do with them? He doesn't keep them to himself. He intrinsically, by his nature, gives them away. He gives us the earth and all the animals and all the plants and trees to enjoy. He gives us each other in relationship. And in fact, he even gives us babies. Babies are one of the greatest things that God gives us. And they are miraculous little things in and of themselves, aren't they? One thing that is universal to babies as a creation of God or a creature of God is that when babies come out, if babies not only survive and thrive, what do they do? They grow. So they don't stay cute and packaged together in that little car seat forever, right? At least we hope they don't. We hope they grow and they change. And even when we tell them, I don't want you to grow up, sweet pea. I don't want you to get bigger. I don't want you to grow out of that car seat. They still grow if they're what? If they're healthy. But one thing is also universally true, and that's that babies grow at different rates. In fact, this is a baby, baby Chanko from uh, Japan who was not only born with a full head of hair, but also had this full head of hair in the womb. In fact, if you read her story, you can see on the ultrasound that there was hair. So what you're going to see in this baby's life compared to other babies' lives who come out absolutely bald like a cue ball, right, is that people are destined to grow. If they're born and are healthy, they're destined to grow. The universal truth remains that we grow in different ways and we grow at different rates. Amen? And you can see that in the way that God has made our creation. I want to share a scripture with you from the first letter of Peter. This is starting in chapter 2, verse 2. Peter says this. He says, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk. Now, what is he talking about there? Babies crave milk, and they let you know how they're craving milk by doing what? By crying. They don't talk and say, hey, could I have... A nice bottle of milk now they ah, you know and then you know that it's time to feed them right so peter knows that people universally get this idea that babies need to eat so he says this about the word and about faith he says like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk the word of god and i would even suggest that this means the experience of god living through you and me and growing while we're here on earth crave Pure spiritual milk, he says, so that by it you may do what? 
grow up in your salvation. See, a lot of people assume that when they come across the, the, the story of their lives and they run into Jesus, they run into Jesus on the cross, that all of a sudden, bam, my sins are forgiven, so the story of my life is going to just be like this forever. And there is nothing further from the truth. The fact of the matter is when we run smack dab into the gospel message of Jesus, right there is where we begin to grow. That's when a growth pattern begins in us and it never ends until when? Until we take our last breath. And then as the scripture says, we are made perfect and we are with God face to face in that day. But Peter says this, he, knowing that idea, he says, so that you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So we know that spiritual babies, just like physical babies, need milk. And we also know universally that at some point when that spiritual baby and when that physical baby grows a little bit, what changes? The food changes, right? This is the idea that if somebody grows up and is a grown up person, but still does the things that babies do, there's something wrong with the picture, right? When people grow up and act like babies, which by the way, I've seen a few people do in O'Hare at O'Hare airport as I was leaving on, on a trip somewhere, I've seen people act like babies, right? Have you ever run into somebody acts like a baby at work? Sometimes it happens, right? But it doesn't fit us as adults, as grownups. We have a profile that God has created for us. That profile into which we grow is Jesus. We are designed to grow up to be like Jesus, which is why at Trinity, you'll hear us say things like, we want to look, live, and love more like Jesus. He is the profile into which we were destined to grow. You know, the Apostle Paul knows this when he talks about in his uh, letter to the Ephesians, and this is in starting in chapter 4, verse 14, Paul says this, he says, then, as we grow, we will no longer be infants. What kind of infants? Spiritual infants. Tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every word of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Now, what was he talking about here? He was talking about messages that the church was receiving and taking seriously that didn't come from God. So he was talking about the idea of this. He was saying, as we grow, we'll be able to mature and discern between those things in life that are from God and those things that are not. Is that a fair, a fair uh, supposition to make about what he's saying here? He's talking to people who have been tricked by messages that don't come from God. He goes on in verse 15 and says, instead, speaking the truth and love to each other, we will grow to become in every respect, in every respect. The mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. And Paul himself ran into this idea head first as he was in his previous life, his previous career, hired by the, the church of his time. Uh, the Jewish leaders of that time hired him because of his great training and his intelligence and his zeal for God. They hired him at that time to seek out new Christians and to persecute them to put them in jail or to do worse with them. That was Paul's job before he ran into Jesus. And in fact, the Bible describes in Acts chapter 9, the story of the apostle Paul before he was the apostle Paul on horseback traveling uh, toward Damascus in Syria for the express purpose of persecuting Christians. He was on the road to hurt Christians. And smack dab, he ran into Jesus on the road. The Bible says that he was 
struck by light and heard the voice of Jesus himself. Uh, He was knocked to his feet, knocked to the ground. And the scripture describes it like this. Paul fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, which was his previous name. Why do you persecute me? Now, he couldn't at that point see Jesus. All he saw was a bright light and heard a big voice. Maybe it sounded like thunder. But he responded to it and said, Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And then Jesus responds, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city. And this is a key phrase right here for us this morning. He said, You will be told what you must do. So the Apostle Paul, who was Saul before and had all this training and all this experience as a Jewish religious leader, didn't have the heart of God beating in him. He had a zeal for the Jewish faith, and he was persecuting people he thought were going to be a threat to that faith, a la Christians. But Jesus caught up with him on the road to Damascus, knocked him down, got his attention, and said, do this. From this time forward, you're going to be dependent on what I say to you. I will give you just as much information as you need to do what? To grow. So what Paul needed in the beginning was to be knocked down and knocked off trajectory in life. He needed that from Christ because he was so dead set on persecuting Christians. Jesus did that for him and helped him change. And from that moment forward, Jesus reoriented Paul to a brand new mission, a new walk in life that was going to be dependent on what God said to him. Let me say that again. Paul was going to be dependent from that time on, on what God said to him. And as God says stuff to him, he's going to grow. He's going to change. And he's going to be in line with God's mission, which is to share the good news of Jesus with how many people? All people. And Paul has been a huge part of that. So what does this mean for us? As we're in this third week of our generosity series, and as we're exploring the ideas that God has created us for generosity, this is where Jesus gets personal. This is where Christ comes to us and calls us to be honest. He calls us to take an honest look at our life and to see if our life is matching up with the generosity that God has created in us. And as we do that, as we take a look honestly at our lives, God also puts out in front of us a target to grow toward. And we understand that that target is Jesus, right? That the profile of God that God would have us to grow into is a picture of Jesus Christ. God looks at Jesus on the cross and who does he see? He sees you. And so when he looks at you, who does he see? He sees Jesus There's an interchange, a substitution that happens there. And so as we're looking at that end goal and looking at that profile, that target, who is Jesus, God is always going to call us to step across the comfort zone line. The perimeter, the perimeter around our comfort zone, he's going to cause us to assault in faith. He's going to cause us to step over from the comfort zone into something uncomfortable. And when he does that, he's going to create in us more faith. He's going to grow us and make us more mature. You know, as we've been talking about generosity and what it means, we've been looking specifically at four ideas or four expressions of generosity, including serving. This is where we get together and we serve at church. Like this morning, we had some people setting up 
and organizing everything that you see here in front of you. And we also had some people bringing donuts and coffee. We also have some people behind the scenes right now working with our kids. And then when we get done today, we're going to have some more people that will clean up and tear down and pack everything in our van. Those are some ways to serve at the church. And we also have some of our people who are serving out in the community, out in their own neighborhoods. That's one way to express generosity is when you serve. Another way is to offer support. What does that mean? That's emotional and relational support to someone in need. So when we get together and pass the peace, if we ask each other how our weeks are doing, we're not simply making small talk at that point. We're listening for opportunities to tune in on the lives of people that we know and love in our church body. And when we do that, God gives us another opportunity to get together during the week Perhaps it's in small group or in some other way and support each other relationally and emotionally. A lot of issues that we end up taking to counseling, taking to therapists are issues that we could have addressed with brothers and sisters in the church. Now, there's a need for counseling and therapy. There's always a need. And some people need to go beyond the conversations that we have over coffee and in small group venues and receive therapy with a professional. But there are a lot of things like loneliness and the beginnings of depression and purposelessness, meaninglessness that we can address together by lifting each other up in small group or over coffee one on one. And then another expression is the financial side where God has called us to share a portion of what he's given us financially to manage while we're here on the earth. And then there's the hospitality side. The hospitality side says, hey, I'm going to create some space and time in my life to let other people come in so that I have the opportunity to show them what the hospitality of God looks like. And what is that? God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. How many people is that? It is all. And he uses you to share the good news of Jesus to make that plan come to be. But here's how it works. As God grows us in these four expressions individually, he also grows his church. And as his church grows, we individually grow. So as we exercise our expressions of generosity in each other's lives and through our church, we grow personally in faith and our church grows, not only numerically, but in depth. So what happens is, as we talked about the idea of You know how forgiveness is sort of the oil of the engine of faith a couple of series ago? Well, generosity is the gas of the engine of your faith. The engine of your faith will stop if it's not fed. If it's not fed of fuel that it can burn and work on. Generosity is that fuel. And when we fuel our lives and the lives of the people in the church that we share... With the gasoline of generosity, the fuel of generosity, we grow. We grow in faith and we grow in maturity. I want to share with you a tool that we like to use here at Trinity called the generosity ladder. Now, if you've seen this concept before in the past, you might have seen it specifically and exclusively in regards to financial giving. But what I want to challenge you with this morning is to not only see how this works, how this system works with financial giving but also with all the other expressions of generosity that we talked about, hospitality, support, and serving. Here's how this works. As we grow and as we mature in the faith, 
God receives us into his kingdom exactly as we are. So if you've never given anything financially before, or if you've never served before at church or otherwise, or if you've never created space in your life for someone else in need before, or if you've never had an emotional or spiritual conversation with someone who was having a difficult time before, does God love you any less? No. In fact, I would suggest that he loves you just as much as everyone else in his kingdom. And at the same time, as we've said, and as we like to say, God loves us so much that he doesn't leave us that way. So if you ever looked at your life and looked at serving, support, finances, and hospitality in the scope of your life and found that you are at rock bottom at zero, what I want to say to you to this this morning, hear this loud and clear. God loves you. We love you exactly the way you are. Not having given a dime or a cent, not having given a minute, not having given a square foot, not having given an opportunity. You are loved by God. He loves you. He wants you. He runs after you to get you. And he reels you in through your heartstrings. And then as he does that, starting with the very thing I just said to you, as he does that, he grows you. And the way he does it is through a concept in the church we call accountability. Accountability is not where we lord something over someone and force them or coerce them to try to grow. But instead, we get under them and we lift them up. Sometimes things we say to them are going to challenge them. In fact, sometimes they might even hurt a little bit. But what that does is it causes us to take an honest look at where we are and listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit to take a step and to grow into another place. Take a look at this idea. If you've never given before, never given an hour, a dime, an opportunity, a cent anywhere in the church before, God could grow you to give one of those things or perhaps even all of them for the first time. And what that does is it causes you to be aware. I have taken a step in faith. You know, when you see a little kid take a first step for the first time, you realize at that point they're no longer a baby. What are they? Technically, they're a toddler. When a baby starts stepping for the first time, they turn into toddlers, right? And then what happens after toddlerism? They run and they never stop, right? They just get faster and faster. So when a baby takes a step, it becomes a toddler. When you and I as spiritual babies take a step, we become spiritual toddlers. We start to grow. We start to see the expressions of God develop in our lives. And that's not just financially. That's with all the other expressions of generosity. And let's say we go on to the next. And we begin to pay attention to the idea that not only does God want us to create space in our life to be a party to helping other people who are in need, but he also leads us toward financial giving. Now, this may look like this. As we've taken one step and now we're ready to take another step, it could mean that you've given something once or twice a year, like at Christmas or Easter. And then you learn about the concept of tithing. Tithing is where we carve out a tenth of everything that God has given us for income, and we share that with our church body. But what if we've never given before? Do we ask and expect the church to go from zero to 10 instantly? Now, some people might do that. I've never done that before. 
in my giving, I literally started at nothing, and then I went to like a half a percent, and then I went to like 1% a year, and then I went to like 2% a year. God doesn't want you jumping from nothing to all in without it being authentic and led by faith, where you're walking and you're stepping and you're growing in your next level following him. So if you are at a place in your life where you're financially giving 2% and you've never opened up an hour of your life to someone in need and you've never done any kind of planning with the church as far as serving with your gifts, does God love you any less? No. He loves you all in, a thousand percent. And then as you're giving that 2%, he might call you to serve like on the setup or teardown team or on the praise team or in first impressions or something on that order. Maybe he asked you to serve on Kid Street. God will always place a little bit of an uncomfortable next step in front of you. And as you take that step, he's asking you to take it with him. He's moving you on toward growth. He's walking with you and stepping with you into that next step. Let's say you've moved beyond the 2% and over the years you've grown in your giving. And one year you were giving 5% and the next year you were giving 6 One year you were giving three hours to the church and the next year you were giving four. One day you were having one conversation over coffee a month and the next month you had two conversations over coffee. And you're growing and you're growing. God continues to put before you this idea of the tithe to move toward a tenth of your income and a tenth of your hours and a tenth of your home, and a tenth of your heart's ability to listen to someone in need, carving more and more space in your life out for his use. God doesn't stop there. God continues to grow you more and more like Jesus. And the steps that he calls you into, the next steps that he calls you into, are always going to be a little bit more uncomfortable. I'll share with you a personal example. This past year, I quit one of my two jobs. I've been working two jobs for so many years, I can't even count. At one point, I found myself working two jobs and taking seminary classes to prepare for this role. And as I got closer and closer to this role, God made it clear to me that the step I need to take next even though perhaps I was tithing 10% and giving 10% of my hours and taking 10% of my home and keeping it clean, thanks be to God, once a week to have small groups in or doing this, that, or the other thing in God's name, there was always a next step. And for me in this past year, it was quitting that second job. You know what happened to our income after I quit that second job? Took a big hit. Our income dropped significantly. And for years, I held that off because I was afraid to take that step. Even as a seminarian, I held that decision off. But God got a hold of me at one point and he said, look, I love you exactly as you are, overworked, overstressed, schedule packed to the hilt, and I'm not going to leave you where you are. I want you to let go of the second job and trust me. And after 30 years in the church, God prompted that decision in me and I did it. Not because of of what I have inside of me, but because of what he has inside of him. And when that time came, the focus and the time and the attention that I was able to give back was exponential. 
And it was merely and simply stepping up to that line and stepping across in the power of the Holy Spirit that showed me when God takes you to the next step, he's not going to drop you there. He's going to walk with you. He's going to walk with you step by step, and he won't drop you there. In fact, he will fill your life with things that you would never have known had you not taken that step. So I stand before you today, not perfect, and, and preaching this message and sharing this math with you as an imperfect person. When people become pastors, I would submit they become less perfect than they were before. They realize how broken they are and in need of Jesus. At the same time, I can bear witness and share with you my testimony. The more you let God take a step forward with you, the more you will love him and nurture your faith with him and appreciate him for who he is and grow. And God will put you in a position where you will share your faith with people who are in need. The profile to which we grow, toward which we grow of Jesus looks like this. Jesus got to the point where he was giving 100% of everything. He even took a glass of wine at a very special meal and passed it around and said, this is my blood. And the disciples didn't realize in that moment he would actually shed his own blood for them. That there was nothing he was going to hold back. He was going to give it all. And so when we have this meal, when we explore that meal and have that meal together, we remember that Jesus gave it all. And in that moment, we can see how powerful it is when God calls us to give at the next level and then at the next and then at the next. When he calls us and grows us to that next level, that is when we know his heart all the more. So we use a tool here at Trinity called the commitment card. And what we're going to do during the offering this week is we're going to pass these out. And what I'd ask you to do is one per household, take one home. Take one of these per, one of these per household home this week and pray over it. And as you look at that ladder, the generosity ladder on the commitment card this week, I want you to remember that there are four expressions of generosity. And when you bring this back next week, you'll have the opportunity to tear off the part where you respond and put that in the offering basket. Now, you may ask the question, who's going to see this card and what are they going to do with it? When I turn this in, is Trinity going to call me when they see that I'm not giving 10%, even though I checked 10%, and they're going to send uh, people in white coats after me or something? No. In fact, we don't do anything like that with commitment cards. We take them, we keep them in a closed box, and we let what you turned in be between you and Christ. This is simply a way for you to interact with God in worship to tell him, Christ, I want to respond to your call to grow. And here's what I want to do with that call. If you put your name and email address on that commitment card and turn it in, it means you want to hear from me. And when you hear from me, what that means is that we're going to sit down over coffee and I'm going to ask you, okay, I saw what you put on that card. How can I help you grow in that direction? That's it. And that's all. Otherwise, that piece of paper, if you don't put your name and email address on it, that piece of paper stays between you and who? You and Jesus. 
It is simply merely a way to worship God with your next step in faith. Does that make sense? So what we're going to do during the offering today is after we pass the offering basket around, we're going to pass around these commitment cards. I'd ask you to take one home per household, pray over it, stew over it, discuss it with those you love in your family. Bring it back next week. And if you want some support from me and or your small group leader, put your name and email address on there, and we will connect sometime in the following weeks. Is that fair to ask this morning? So we'll do that today during the offering and ask you to bring that back next week. And specifically, what you're going to be drawing your attention to is that tear-off portion on the right that's going to have next steps to it. Who is going to support you in growing in those next steps? Not only myself, but if you're in a small group, your small group leader can support you. Not in a way that lords that opportunity over you or forces you or coerces you to do it, but in a way that comes under and behind and underneath you and lifts you up and asks the key question, what can I do to help you? So if you're open to that idea, if you're open to meeting with myself or your small group leader and discovering a new way to grow, take that card home and pray over it. Mark something down. Bring it back next week, and we'll collect that through the offering. What I want you to leave the message with today as we close is the idea that God loves us exactly as we are and what? Loves us so much that he doesn't leave us alone. He walks with us to grow us. We were all destined to grow, every last one of us. And if you've never taken a step in faith before this morning, I would invite you to take the first step with me now as we pray. We're going to invite the kids to come back in in just a minute. But I want you to pray this prayer with me if you've never prayed it before. Would you join me in prayer? Dear Jesus, I trust you. I step after you and walk after you in faith, knowing that you grow me. And that that growth is not simply the church asking for more money. It is the kingdom of God growing faith in me. And Christ, I know that when I give financially or when I give other forms of support like serving or engaging in emotional conversations or spiritual conversations with others, inviting them to come to church, that that is the way you grow your church so that more and more people can hear the good news of Jesus. The church is not meant to grow for its own purposes. The church is meant to grow for your purposes, the sharing that God has a new life for us. And when we participate in that growth and maturity, we personally grow and the church around us grows as well. God, you've borne witness to this idea and everything you've made. So thank you for taking the world around us and using it as an opportunity for us to grow in it. And thank you for sending Jesus into the middle of it to claim it, to redeem it, to be Lord and King over it, and at the same time, servant of it all. Show us how to follow you in that as we take steps of faith. In your name we pray and together we say, amen and amen.